Welcome to the History of Networking at the Network Collective. This time we're talking about the history of an idea that was originally considered impossible, voice over IP. Our guest for this show is Alistair Woodman. Alistair, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm a physicist by training. Um, when I, I wasn't expecting that one. That was pretty, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> smarter, than the, uh, smarter than the average bears. I, um, I'm on the wrong show, guys. I got to go. <laughs> so, and, and when I left college, I went into the oil patch for a while and um, paid off my college bills, enjoyed Amen. myself and um, then went back to school to study uh, robotics and computer automation. <laughs> and that's where I got into networking because obviously at that time, robotics was going nowhere. And the courses on AI, which were sort of vaguely interesting, were going even less far. Um, I did quite a bit of stuff in prologue at the time and it was like, okay, what's this useful for? Uh, not very much, but we had a couple of electives on networking and that got me interested in the space. Um, so after that, I ended up working at Apple for uh, about five years. They, they were the ones responsible for moving me to the US. And um, then after I worked at Apple and this was post jobs, uh, watching it sort of plowing into the ground, um, I jumped ship, did a startup, and then ended up at Cisco in 1996. And that's where most oh. of the story about voiceover AP starts. That's interesting. I didn't realize you started in 96 because that's the same year I started in Cisco, but I was in TAC at that time. Right. Well, uh, well, and I was, I was always off in, you know, layer, layer four and above land, right, which is, was not the core business of Cisco. So for a long period of time, I didn't get to know the serious routing guys. But so you said something was, about Cisco having a core business? <laughs> I, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, the bulk of the money, you know, was like layer two and layer three, right? That's okay. where the money was coming from. Okay. All right. so, I, I was not expecting that. That was a really long path to get to the point where you're here to talk about what you're here to talk about. It's even more interesting than that, right? So I, st yeah, that in 1996, um, uh, the people were just turning up at Cisco, right? They were snowing in the door. If you had a pulse and you could walk down Tasman, they were hiring you. That's how I got a job. I was going to say, that's how Rick got a job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and so when I turned up, when I turned up for work, uh, my boss, he said, uh, I've got, uh, we don't know what we get, want you to do, but there's, there's two things you can do. One of them is you can, you know, you can work on this iOS release train problem. And the other one is we've got this voiceover frame relay thing to take care of. And I didn't know what iOS was at the time. So I went out of his office and said, let me think about it. And I called up a, an ex-colleague from Apple who'd also started work at, at Cisco probably a couple of years before I had. 
And I said, uh, what's this iOS release train thing that he, my boss is talking about? And he says, run and hide. <laughs> the opposite <laughs> way. <laughs> you made the right choice, Alistair. I, I, I don't know, guys. That sounds like excellent job security. You would still have a job working on iOS. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> but I would have gone postal by that time. Oh, that's right? true. That's true. I, I would have just, you know, so I, you know, I got to see the people doing that job and I would have killed somebody by the, you know, probably, <laughs> you know, 1997 or something like that. It wouldn't have taken me very long. A whole year. Wow. Exactly. Then you'd be doing this show from the prison. <laughs> exactly. But still with stripes, right? So, so so it was a sort of an interesting uh, and literally my boss said okay we got this problem um voice over frame relay we're getting our butts kicked by motorola and that was basically the job specification or at least the thing that i was asked to go deal with when i turned up and i think it's it's probably also useful to say here that i'm actually the closest thing to a suit that you might have had on the program right so i'm on the other side of the fence, the evil dark side, um, product mi marketing side. Well, so guys, it's been a good show. I was about to say, yeah. let's go <laughs> <laughs> we can put the phone down <laughs> right now. Blah, 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 blah. Right. The rest of it. Let's switch over to the iOS train. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but to well, be fair, you've been doing the iOS train, right? No, to be not. fair, when, I, when my students always ask me, not always, but when they ask me, uh, what's the most lucrative path in IT? Is it networking? Is it virtualization? What should I do? What's the where can I make the most money? I always say sales. I mean, <laughs> that's it's right, exactly, yeah. business development. That's that's the most lucrative path, and so go for it. So we say this tongue in cheek, but we appreciate your effort and your work. <laughs> well, um, I'm not I mean, sure I, yet. We're still waiting to hear what his efforts were. <laughs> uh, good well, we did. We did end up driving. You know, we were doing over a billion dollars worth of business uh, by 2001 um, with all the voiceover IP stuff. So I, I think it. You know, we we were one of the few areas where Cisco ended up creating billion dollar businesses mostly from scratch. Hmm. So um, and and then of course the you know the bubble <laughs> bubble burst and the wheels fell off. Uh, but you know for five years it was uh, it was a good business and um, it was I think special times that that as I talk about the history of it, it's worthwhile sort of discussing what was happening at a very macro level before we get down into the details of, you know, some of the stuff. So again, maybe everybody can, you know, just go get beer and popcorn at this point. Um, don't, don't bring a popcorn. Russ is going to be very disappointed. He <laughs> and I did sort of want to, I did sort of want to do a little bit of a show and tell for you guys. Um, Ooh, I love that. Awesome. Yeah. Because it, it, it translates um, we, really well to a to a podcast. <laughs> exactly, and yes. and it's sort of like the the in an homage to Sheldon, you know, the sort of fun with flags type episode. Um, I, I thought I'd show you the sort of this book. Um, oh, that's a, a great book, yeah. Right, you, which is <laughs> what is it? What is it called? The it, death of distance. The death, the death of distance. distance. Um, so I don't know if any of you guys ever read this, but it was, you know, it was the hot topic at the time. And I'll get into the details of like why that was important. Um, but practically, I spent a lot of time, you know, with this stuff, which yeah, that is, one. 
telegeography, um, <laughs> which was all about where the you know traffic was going and who was doing what and why anybody would care. And the other thing that was happening in 1996, and I don't know if any of you guys sort of remember that period of time, but this is the you know company report of MFS talking the about the regulatory jungle. Mm. And it was the Telecom Act of mm -hmm. 19, 1996 was going through at the same time. So yep. there was a huge bang for the uh, deregulation of the industry in general, which is sort of why it's relevant to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And um, simultaneously, this is also one of my favorite books of all time. This is like the Wikipedia before there was Wikipedia. So Harry Newton's telecom dictionary was the the, the go-to thing to find out information about stuff you didn't know anything about five minutes beforehand so those were the so, sort of so nothing has changed we just have the you know internet resources for right now yeah well, right you google, can google yeah. it now yeah. right yeah, but, yeah. but in the good old days you actually needed harry newton's book and i don't know if you guys ever had one of those things but it was a god saver um you know for figuring out stuff about you know, networks that you'd never heard anything about, which in my case was the PSTN. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, the, the interesting topic that came up at that time, this was 1996, mentioned the fact that deregulation was happening, you know, in front of the marketplace. And that contributed, I think, substantially to the sort of dot-com bubble and, uh, what happened sort of five years later, but at the time, um, lots of money was flowing into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who had a pulse, you know, could raise money. Um, if you remember a little bit later on, I might touch this, touch on this level three and, you know, Quest came uh, onto the scene and uh, level three being started after the MFS guys got acquired. So there was a lot of money slopping around in the industry at that time. Uh, simultaneously, yeah, the, the, the price of bandwidth had just gone through the floor. Um, so back in 1998, um, you know, TAT8 was brought online, which was the first uh, optical fiber uh, across the Atlantic. But, and I remember when I was working in the oil patch before 1998, I used to have to book calls from the UK to the United States. So I used to call from Scotland to uh, Houston and you used to have to book a call. You had to call the operator and say, I want to talk to somebody, you know, because there weren't that many circuits, right? So as of 1998, um, optical fibers were being used. Um, so 10 years on, there's all this optical fibers being, you know, put in place and the, you know, long distance operators are making shed loads of money from international and uh, domestic long distance. And everybody wants a piece of that. So um, I don't know if you guys remember the sort of callback marketplace uh, where people had credit cards and you used to do callback and people used um, to freak used well, to find freak and actually use the callback and figure out how to break through the callback codes and uh, get free right. international calling yeah exactly but but it was a it was a properly run commercial business for callback um where people were 
carriers would actually provide the return dialing thing. So you would dial out um, over some mechanism and then they would call you back and use the reverse tariff charges. Right. And that was a huge business. There were, you know, lots of people making, you know, good money in that particular space. So companies like IDT um, were the original you know, folks who have been heavily engaged in that space. So all that stuff was happening over TDM. And, you know, people were interested in, you know, could the, could you do something about it in the data space? And, you know, simultaneously, um, whilst this, all this is happening, right, you've got the clash of titans between the big telcos and the upstart telco, telco equipment providers over what's the future of um, networking going to look like. So this is going on at the same time as the ATM, you know, frame relay and IP wars. Nightmares, um, nightmares. Nightmares, exactly. Nightmares. Um, but you, ha you have to remember that Cisco, <laughs> was basically not even viewed as a tier one equipment provider then. And some people would still say now, but. Uh, <laughs> right, anybody, but, anybody? It, on. I'm not biting on that one. No, <laughs> no. Nope. come on guys. Don't want any part of that one. No, you can, you can own that one. Well, okay. well I, no, I just said some people that's like you guys. So, uh, oh, thanks. Thanks man. Uh, but, but the, the telco equipment providers, uh, they were, they were all in on ATM and it was going to be the future of TDM networking and it was going to be ATM. So there was a big, big amount of passion fighting going on around about standards in that particular space. So when I actually turned up at Cisco and, and was given this voiceover frame relay thing to deal with, um, initially, it was just because Motorola had a better FRAD than and Cisco didn't actually have a FRAD when I turned up. FRAD. Um, What's a FRAD? Frame relay um, access device. So, frame, because frame was, I mean, frame was actually taking over the X25 market and then ATM was supposed to take over. Well, frame was taking over the T1 and the X25 market at the time. And then ATM was supposed to take over the frame market at that point. I mean, ATM lane, man, come on. I Actually, the, the, the frame, <laughs> frame was being done because ATM was still, you know, not getting anywhere, right? Yeah, I think the right. frame relay guys didn't ever want ATM to take over. The hand waving from, you know, the traditional telco equipment operators was it, it was a, you know, stopgap technology and that ATM was, you know, just around the corner. Um, so the thing that was driving the frame relay space um, was the private uh, PBX networking uh marketplace so similarly as i talked about the you know tariff deregulation stuff um a lot of the uh, large enterprises have been building private pbx networking and some of you guys seem to have had some history of you know connecting pbx's up um but the the wide area networking side of that you would you would go to the carrier and get a least line mm -hmm. to connect your PBX together. And as data networking 
started to become prevalent in companies, they looked at this and said, well, why do I need two sets of pipes to run between my locations? Why can't I multiplex the voice and the data on the same connection? And this is where Motorola was being quite successful by, you know, selling these FRAD boxes, which would multiplex both the voice and the data. So they had IP spigots on, on the LAN side and uh, they were connecting Cisco routers up to them and they were connecting the PBX up to the um, TDM interfaces and they would be backhauling all this over frame relay networks. Right, and, right, right, right. Yeah, and that was that was a fine and dandy two box solution as far as Cisco sales guys were concerned, until Motorola had the audacity to indicate that they would actually start putting routing features in their FRAD, and that's just happened at about the time that I turned up because Cisco had lost a couple of deals to Motorola. And of course that can't happen in the Cisco narrative. So I was given this action item to go figure out how to build the FRAD. Um, so I did, I, I went off and I was looking into building a FRAD. And in fact, uh, uh, we spent quite a bit of time thinking about building one ourselves and then Cisco acquired Stratacom and it was like, oh, they're already building one. Okay, well, that's useful. Um, but as I've been working in this space, um, this is where the sort of CTI thing comes along and international uh, callback comes along is that the often driven by the Israelis, um, there were the companies who are putting, you know, Dialogix cards in PCs and making PCs into sort of um, connectivity devices that could go over the internet and carry voice. And um, you know, you know, what's really sad, Phil. Is is that, I'm sorry, Alistair. Is that I remember the Dialogic cards because I used to put them in PCs. They were wonderful pieces of technology. <laughs> So, 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 you know, if we were going to do the trick, uh, you know, the, the trick question recognition stuff like H100 uh, was a wonderful uh, oh, uh, architecture. Oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight, Alistair. <laughs> well, uh, so I'll, I'll scare you even more. We went over to look at Dialogics and, and we almost bought them. So... Um, the the we were or at least our group was very interested in in acquiring that technology and some of the stuff that the guys have been doing in that space we ultimately passed but um uh, uh there was a lot of interest from being able to sort of uh, get in that you know cti space because of what was happening in you know large-scale call centers as well as the um you know, the international voice over IP business. So the reason that we sort of ended up doing all this voice over IP stuff and ditching the voice over frame relay and to a great extent, the voice over ATM stuff is because um, basically Cisco was a IP company. And every time I go talk to executives about, ooh, let's do this voice over ATM thing, or, ooh, let's do this voice over frame relay thing, you know, eyes would roll, uh, people would glaze over, and they wouldn't be particularly interested. But when you talked about doing voice over IP, everybody went, oh, that's our business, right? We can do that. Um, so 
the the over about a period of a year, we ended up going from a situation where we had four or five different drivers of why Cisco should be worried about you know doing um, voice over X to the situation where we decided to put most of our resources into going after voice over IP. And I think we did a pretty good job of wagging the industry as well uh, in terms of convincing people that, you know, voice over frame relay and then later voice over ATM wasn't really going to be very useful um, yeah. because they were only sort of niche applications for enterprise back or, uh, you know, uh, converge networking but you wouldn't be able to use them for other things yeah in fact i was searching uh through the acm computer library the other day the electronic library and i ran across a few articles about how voice over ip wasn't even possible couldn't be done qos couldn't be solved on and on and on and these were i mean you know peer-reviewed actually research kind of articles talking about statistically why you couldn't do this and stuff and uh, it's pretty interesting that now we just take it for granted in fact it's Almost the opposite. We do um, voice over LTE um, and actually run IP on top of a wireless network and then run voice on top of IP on top of a wireless network because it's simpler than running voice native on the wireless network. Yeah. And, and, but it was interesting that you, you raised that topic because we did run into uh, a couple of interesting problems to start with. So, you know, we did... Um, one of the first things that we we got wrapped around the axle about was the, you know, how to do QoS. And of course, Cisco was very hot and heavy uh, on RSVP at the time. So, um, and some of the wags on this particular conference um, might also suggest that that's one of those areas where you know RSVP has been looking for solutions to to its to explain its existence, and voice over IP was a convenient one um, for a period of time. So. Um, we well, used this to happens a lot more in technology than we like, right? Somebody yes. invents something and then they sit around looking for a problem to solve because they invented this really cool thing. Mm -hmm. And there's got to be a solution. There's got to be a problem. Somebody I can solve must with need it. this. <laughs> That's exactly right. That never happens. That never happens. Isn't the opposite true, though? You, you invent something cool and people start using it and then they start using it for things that were never envisioned. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both, both actually happen. Yeah. 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 So we used to use the the RSVP thing was the the fig leaf of convenience whilst um, none of this technology actually existed. You know, when you ran into cynics and naysayers, you just sort of wave, you know, RSVP magic magical thinking in their general direction <laughs> and most of them would sort of go oh yes what a wonderful idea and you know then they would buy into it um but but we did run into one very practical problem that we did need to fix and i think that was the sort of first problem that we looked at and that was actually getting uh voice traffic moving up uh, fractional T1s. And so any of you guys who, you know, mess around with that, the problem would be that you get these small voice packets, that's all fine, but then they could get stuck behind, you know, a full MTU size packet on a channelized <laughs> interface. And, and, so, and so our initial, our initial solution was to simply tune the MTU down on the IP side and force everything to be really small packets. ATMize it. <laughs> well, well, so, so you, you just, 
but we invented CRTP, right? And that was actually implemented by a bunch of the guys in, in North Carolina. Um, and as a response to uh, solving that problem of how do you chop stuff up um, and interleave it on an IP interface. So, um, so we came up with a solution for specifically that problem of dealing with the uplink, um, essentially head of line blocking from large NT MTU uh, packet sizes. Um, and, and that took, took us quite a while to perfect. Uh, but when we did get it to work, it actually solved most of the problems. And then of course, thankfully, people stopped using channelized uh, fractional T1 interfaces and the speeds uh, picked up and we didn't yeah, really have to is, worry that much about it. This is the other thing that always happens in technology is just as you solve a problem, people stop using the technology that you solve the problem for. Exactly. Or it doesn't, it's not needed anymore. Right? That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I think we get bored. I think it's what happens. Because I see this all the time. Like, oh yeah, we have this network that works beautifully or this thing that, that works exactly the way we want it to now. Oh, look, look at the shiny new thing. <laughs> let's go make that happen. Let's go, let's go do that. Now in this case, bandwidth is not that way though. We always use more, right? <laughs> we always, right. We always can use more. So, but it was, I think it was a very, um, uh, that was a very necessary thing to, to actually do because there were customers who were aware of this problem. And, you know, to Ross's point, it, it had been pointed out in the literature and we needed to do something to deal with that problem, which wasn't a network quality of service issue that we could wave RT, uh, RSVP as a solution at, but it really was a delay problem um, on the uplink, uh, downlink side. Um, and a bit like buffer bloat is, you know, a problem today. Um, we had to deal with that problem uh, and the solution to that was CRTP, which um, you know uh, some pretty smart people worked on in iOS land to make sure that that all worked. Um, and uh, I don't think we would now, have gotten that, our early insertion in the market if was we that done, done in, that. That was done in iOS. Was that yeah. done at the driver's side or was that done actually in iOS itself and in, in the IP input or the IP output processing? I mean, how did that, because I'm just curious, cause you know, you think about packet flow through and you take the packet and you stuff it onto the output queue and then the output queue reads onto the re transmit ring. I mean, where in all of that is that going on? The, the, and how does that actually work a little bit? It might be useful to talk about that a little bit just to give people a better idea. Okay, well, you're asking the wrong person. I told you I was from the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, get the tie off, Alistair, come on. <laughs> you need to get some of the guys from RTP who actually did the work, but it was very low level stuff, right? Um, it had to work on all the, um, all the packets had to be, so it wasn't a matter of the voice packets, it had to chop up the- It had to chop uh, up the, the other data. Yeah, the data packets had to be chopped so, up. So I'm assuming so. it was disassembled and reassembled at the driver level, and it was not at the IP level because it wasn't using IP fragmentation Correct. to do this. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it had to. It was a point-to-point -point thing, right? You had to. You yeah. had to reassemble it uh, uh, immediately at the other end. Right. Um, but um, but very good, very good stuff. Um, so then, of course, you you run into the other things that you're talking to customers about this, and you're waving your hands about how great all this technology is. 
Um, so the interesting question is then why did why did we end up with H three twenty three as the um, the solution for making most of the voice stuff work? And again, so, that was so you might want to explain what H three twenty three is for a second before you get into that because a lot of our listeners who don't know voice over IP might not actually know what that is. I mean, well, Donald. They, they, yeah, do they? I've I've heard the acronyms. Yeah, I mean, people have heard it, but what is it? <laughs> Well, where does it come from? It has a strange nomenclature, right? It's got periods in it. What's going on? <laughs> Letters and numbers. Exactly. <laughs> Who thought that up? Um, this is too confusing, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, this is you, you. We jest, but it it was one of the things that was happening as well at this particular period of time was the battle lines between the ITU and the IETF. Um, so there was certainly a lot of, um, uh, and we'll sort of loop around into the IETF side of it later, but the ITU had done quite a bit of work on multimedia stuff. And this all came out of, uh, am I allowed to say this word on this show? ISDN? <laughs> is that okay? Will, will I get disconnected? Will the, you know, so what, one time. You have an allowance. You've now used it. It's done. Well, well, actually, I will. uh, And this may actually get me uh, burnt in effigy by some guys. I've I've been on record several times, uh, mostly after a a large amount of alcohols involved at the at the ITF of saying that the uh, there was there wasn't very much wrong with ISDN. It just had one fundamental bug that if they hadn't have put it in there, it would have dominated the technology that we have today. And that fundamental bug was that they had 64 kilobit um, D channels. And if they'd have gone for, you know, 64 gigabit D channels, everything would be, would be fine. We would be done. We'd have a very large spanking TDM infrastructure that was switching large video circuits as we speak. And, um, you know, we wouldn't be getting DDoS by Russians because they'd have to pay the telcos to, to call you up and annoy you. And so, but Alistair, you never need more than 64K. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, of course you do. <laughs> no, they, no, no, they no, no, that. no. They, Back then, you didn't need more than 64 meg of memory, so you certainly don't need more than 64 meg. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's talk about H320 specs for video. They did bonded, they did bonded uh, D channels. They knew all about this stuff. They knew that they needed larger scale stuff. So they were, you know, but they just didn't have the guts to go for the, you know, 64 gigabit <laughs> channels because <laughs> had they done that i think they'd still be in business and you know we'd be you know talking about itu protocols on this show which we sort of are at the moment anyway <laughs> um but but cisco was doing or the itu had done a lot of work around about multimedia and because and, and this goes way back into the 60s uh, the at&t had done the first video terminals um, I'm sure you guys have seen these things on sort of computer history things, the, you know, the early video they, they, journals. They show, one, one? they show one at uh, when you're at the sci-fi theater at Disney World. 
mm-hmm. it's actually a big thing that they talk about the AT&T video terminal for like two minutes and right. show and a video. Is, the Epcot Center or somewhere like that? It, well, it's, it's at, uh, it's at uh, MGM or Disney Hollywood Studios. There's a, there's a restaurant yeah. there called, yeah, the Sci-Fi, where you sit in an old-fashioned car like you're in a drive-in theater and they right, show you exactly. the, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so they had a plan for these video phones, you know, back in the day. And the ITU guys. What was that about? (laughs) Right. Well, they made it work, right? They were just too early because Moore's Law hadn't done anything useful for them by that time. But they had the specs and the protocols to make all this stuff work over the PSTN. And, you know, when data turned up, they decided to take their specs for ISDN and H3. 320 um and they they did a data version of it and that was called h322 um sorry h323 and uh there was another interesting standard that i'll throw out there at you the t120 anybody know what that was about a robot that killed people <laughs> I swear, I'm not going to be able to sure. sleep tonight, yeah, Alistair. I'm really not going to be able to sleep tonight, man. <laughs> That's what it was, right? I I do remember that when I was studying for the CCMP voice, uh, which is now no longer. But I do remember what that T T one twenty. What is what it? is it? Oh, what man. was it for? I don't know. I know it was when I was studying for the CCMP. So voice. you couldn't pass a CCMP voice you today. That's what you're <laughs> and I do remember it had something to do with H three two three, and then there was like H two two five and H two three. Now all the control protocols. I'm showing my ignorance. You know, it's been a long time. I can. I yeah, can so, figure a so, call manager though. <laughs> well, well. So the the T one twenty was for whiteboarding. Um, so okay, actually, no, the sort of stuff I that we would share, uh, you know, share graphics and all those other type of stuff. So they had a standard for doing that in the ITU, and. Uh, the interesting thing was when I turned up at Cisco and went over to building F where the iOS guys would hang out in their ivory tower, they'd actually implemented uh, both the video, um, the video stuff as well as the whiteboard sharing in iOS um, for some ITU uh, you know, demo services, and they were supposed to be going to market with it. And this is how so, iOS got to be 12 million lines of code. Yes, exactly. And, <laughs> and there were a bunch of people in, uh, in the layer two and layer three land that hated the idea of all this stuff being in there because it's fundamentally, you know, layer seven application stuff. And, um, you know, but at the time, everybody was, um, it had to be iOS everywhere. So we were putting code in there. And um, I randomly went over to building F one day and said, uh, we got a problem with, you know, this voice over IP thing. And they said, we got some video code. And we basically sat around in a room and decided that if you left the pictures out of video, it might be telephony. So you know, that's how <laughs> <Logic>. <laughs> you put a null video code in and it's voice, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we're the, There's the best and the brightest so backwards about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this was one of the things that Russ was talking about. This is one of the classic accidental, you know, oh, that that would work. You know, <laughs> what what's wrong with that? So, um, you know, so we decided to use the H23 stuff because it was available. And um, 
uh, it was important at the time that we tried to wave the, you know, wag the, the other entrants in the marketplace and get a standard going because there were a lot of proprietary solutions doing voice over IP. Uh, these were the, you know, as I referred to before, the, the CTI guys who had taken PCs and putting Dialogics cards in the boxes and they developed their own, you know, signaling and call setup protocols. And, um, you know, we weren't in a situation for wanting to go down that route. We wanted standards to drive the marketplace and we wanted to make sure that, you know, everybody was adopting some form of, you know, interoperability so that we could outsell them in the marketplace, which was, you know, the classic Cisco, you know, goal was to set a standard and then outsell people. And um, H323 was a very good way of doing that. And because other people were doing the multimedia stuff, um, there was a lot of help from the PC guys. So Microsoft at the time was doing, um, you know, video conferencing stuff as well on Windows, and they were using H323 too. Um, so one of the early problems that we ran into was the codec wars. So for those of you who've been paying attention to the ITF about video codecs, uh, maybe over the last, I don't know, seven years, um, you know, they were trying to standardize video codecs. Uh, back in 1996, we were all trying to figure out what, you know, voice codecs to standardize on to enable the marketplace to go anywhere. And um, ultimately, we ended up bifurcating and accepting, I think, two in the industry, mostly because Microsoft had a um, royalty-free license for the G723 codec. And they were, in, they were insistent that 723 was going to get adopted because they could ship it on all their... Um, all their Windows operating systems without having to count them. And sort of I recognized the validity of that argument. Um, there were a whole bunch of people who thought it sucked as a uh, codec. And uh, which is why it was free. Well, it, <laughs> one of the reasons why it was free. I just, that, so it, it's certainly true that I think that the guys, you know, were, well, they were willing to give a buyout to Microsoft. Microsoft yeah, had paid right. a one-time fee to, and pretty big numbers, I think, to, to get a, a royalty-free license. Um, everybody, all the tests that we'd done was that G728 was a better codec for, you know, back-to-back connectivity between PBXs and, you know, TDM switching infrastructure. Um, but we spent a good, I don't know, maybe 18 months fighting um, in the codec wars roundabout standards for codecs. And um, I ended up uh, in a situation of, of having to decide to basically, you know, ship several of them and pay more costs um, to license the codex because there was no resolution to this problem. And um, a lot of the iOS, well, almost all of our iOS gear uh, had multiple codex support because you couldn't, you couldn't force um, people into using one codec. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I remember downloading codec packs onto my Windows box. Right, exactly, you could do that. Yeah, uh, and you, you could download you codec to pay money, packs. Right? Yeah, and you had to yeah. pay money to get the codec packs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
uh, I did that too. So yeah, we did some stuff. Uh, and then of course the, the other interesting problem that you run into as soon as you've decided that you're going to do all this and you get shipping is your customers point out to you um, that if you're going to connect uh, access boxes to connect PBXs together as opposed to just have a PC talking to some gateway, um, you better be able to make sure that you're carrying all of the traffic that goes across there and that includes fax. So uh, fax was a, you know, a problem that <laughs> bit us in the butt pretty early on, right? Because and it still is. Fax, exactly. Fax, fax is the downfall of everything. It, is, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Fax is the problem. Exactly. But it, but it, I it tried but it's an interesting. It work. It's an interesting recursive problem right is that one of the reasons that voice over ip took off is that the price of dsps had come down to such a level that um we could afford to buy them and stick large quantities of, of them into boxes to be able to terminate the tdm traffic and there were a couple of applications that were driving the cost of dsps down one of them was faxes and the other one was dial-up internet. So there's a certain... Yeah, I, I, I refuse to believe that facts had a positive impact on anything. <laughs> I, just, I just refuse. <laughs> didn't happen. Well, well, I agree it didn't, but it made it all possible, right? So the fact that faxes existed made it a problem to be solved, but it meant it made it also, it was a problem that could be solved because you could do the same thing that the fax machines were doing, right? Because of, you know, compute cycles and all the other hand wavy stuff, right? So, um, so we ended up having to do a bunch of that stuff as well, right? And T38, uh, I think we had cap cases for probably four or five years on that topic. Just, just four or five, are you sure? Well, uh, I'm not, I won't touch the call manager side of the house. They had cap okay. cases for like a long period of time for okay. lots of other reasons. But, but you know, on the, the 3600 and the 5300s and all the other boxes that we ship, we mostly got facts sorted out pretty quickly. Um, so I don't know if you guys remember the, uh, that also happened in, you know, 96. Um, we Cisco bought uh, assets from Telebit um, from the modem side of things. So this gets back into the dial connectivity space. Um, and I think when I turned up at Cisco, certainly Ascend was probably the company that Cisco was the most fearful of in terms of their stellar growth. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, yep, yep. Ascend was really a big competitor. They were they were going they were going gangbusters at the time that's, that's um, a convenient name for a company going gangbusters uh, exactly and growing yeah. ascend yes they, they were very, they very were relevant. up and to the right it, it, until it stops happening yeah then the name is <laughs> right. just funny <laughs> <laughs> exactly ascend till it descends yeah, well, yeah. we're not going to call the company that so uh, yeah. <laughs> um but th that the, the fact that they could scale and, and sort of 3Com was also a competitor in that space. 
Um, and that was all about making DSPs do, uh, you know, funky things in that particular case, uh, modem termination. Um, so the interesting problem was, could you use, could you shoehorn uh, voice codecs into the DSPs to make that work too? And um, 3Com were the ones that I think had actually figured that out the best. And they had DSPs where they could download um, both modem and VoIP code uh, onto their single box. And I was very worried about them as a competitor for quite a while. And I'm, um, I'm not following this. Are we talking about like modem signaling over IP? Is that what we're talking about here? Well, like I, no, the, the um, modems were being terminated on the TDM side. Right. And then turned into data. But um, if you've sold somebody a big box, um, which is at the time people were salivating after being able to terminate, you know, DS3's worth of uh, channelized modem traffic. Sure. If you've sold them that box, it would be nice if you could also... Uh, do terminate the TDM and do VoIP out of that interface. Right, CGS. All right, okay, yeah. Yes, CGS. So, so the challenge for people in the industry was, it, it, was that gonna work? Um, ultimately, it, it, I think it ultimately didn't matter because as I talked about earlier, that there was so much money being poured into the industry because of the, deregulation, um, the Telco Act, that basically people were spending money hand over fist and different departments were doing voice over IP versus, uh, you know, dial termination. And they were perfectly happy to waste money on twice the amount of hardware. And, um, you know, Cisco and other companies profited from that. But there was a real period of time where um, 3Com was pitching this universal uh, DS0 termination capability and um, we were scratching our heads inside of Cisco trying to figure out how to make that happen. And so we bought the Telebit assets and everything was great because they had a roadmap for being able to do that. They had V34 and they were going to be able to do, you know, voice over IP on their and then just after we'd acquired them, along came the uh, 56 kilobit modem termination stuff, and it blew their technology out of the water. So we'd acquired a company to solve a problem that, you know, they weren't capable of solving again, and we had to respin our DSPs, and that caused a huge amount of pain. Uh, so did any of you guys work on the dial platforms uh, whilst yes. you were at Cisco? So Sadly. you remember... You remember the 5800? Yes, sadly. And the fact that we couldn't actually put the right number of DSP channels in there to do a yes. channelized CS3? You remember that embarrassment? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, you know, I, I was, I watched that, you know, whole, you know, oh. activity go sideways as well. Um, unfortunately, dial turned into a business that peaked uh but we were we were ending up having to use their platforms and there was a lot of interest in the 5800 as a you know a big ass box that would be able to do ds3 termination and it was it was always underperformant um 
it had this problem that you couldn't terminate, you know, a full DS3 if the signaling uh, was coming in through SS7 as opposed to rub bit signaling. And um, it was a pain in the butt for a long period of time. So uh, we sold shed loads of 5300s and um, tried to duck the 5800 sales uh, because of that. Yep, I remember taking 5,800 and 5,300 cases intact. And um, which ones did you prefer? Oh, the 5,300, without a doubt. We hated the yeah. 5,800. Yes. The 5,800 case, when it came into the queue, it would just sit there. Nobody would take it. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> I've never had a customer bought one of those. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to actually take the case. Depressed. That's yeah. right. You'd say, hi, this is Russ from Cisco. Um, I see you bought a 5,800. Um, we're going to terminate this case now. When you buy a real piece of hardware, please oh, call us oh. back. <laughs> please call us, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one of the, 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 one of the few times in my professional career where I have told people that I thought they were complete boneheads for doing something and actually ended up having to eat humble pie afterwards was the whole access path uh, project. So do you guys remember that? That sounds vaguely familiar. So it was, it was where they took a bunch of 5300s and put them in a cabinet and basically pre-configured the thing with a an ad drop uh, DS3 to DS1 uh, mux, stat mux. This and was like part of the pop on a pallet thing, I think. Or yes, something exactly. Like that. It was the yes. pop on the pallet, otherwise known as pop on a pallet. Yes. Oh my and, goodness. I worked on those. Yes. And, and so, I thought that that was the dumbest idea that I have ever heard. I thought customers would look at that and go, this is absolutely and we sold, and Cisco sold a shed load of them. <laughs> we sold, I, I cannot tell you how much money we made with those things. It was <laughs> unbelievable. And, and the, the great thing about it, and this shows just, and, and I have a wonderful memories of the Cisco sales forces when they cunningly got onto something, you know, and the message got out that you, you would just see your numbers going from like, yeah, just trucking along, whatever it is, getting a couple of calls to suddenly manufacturing couldn't make enough of things because the Cisco sales guys had gotten behind something. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Definitely. The access path was the thing because they, we put it together. So get this, we put the thing together people because we were sending it selling it to telcos we actually configured it and we had the guys doing the knotting you know for the cables because we were selling this to the r box so it had to be properly you know configured no tie wraps we were damaged in the making of an access path right it was all hand stitched together and we would build these cabinets and sell them to the customers and but there was an implied well there were not an implied there was a discount over buying a bunch of 5300 separately because you were buying them in bulk 
So enterprising sales guys, channel guys figured out that they could buy these things and they would immediately start cutting them apart and selling the 5300s. So the access path numbers were through the roof. And uh, I would say about half of them were immediately cannibalized and sold as individual pieces. But um, so what? So, um, so bring us up to date on voiceover IP. So we went through H323, um, used the video channel signaling without the video with a null no packer video, and right. nothing in it and just using the audio channel. So then um, RSVP turned out to be pretty much not useful for anything because people just started tossing bandwidth yep. at the problem eventually, um, yep. which a lot of that's about serialization delay. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of that problem is not just queuing delay. It's actually also serialization delay that you get into with the higher bandwidth stuff. So what's happened since then? I mean, we're just all kind of using voice over IP now. We're not really even thinking about it being a thing. Like I said, we actually carry voice over packet over um, wireless now over a channel that was designed to do voice in the first place. Yeah, and, and, and interesting. So that uh, that gets us into the sort of the evolution of the PSDN ultimately. So I didn't mention IMS. Uh, it was on my list of things to talk about, and that might be that might warrant a show in of itself if you you know want to talk about you know gory uh, telco. Um, <laughs> overburdened projects. IMS is probably, you know, after ATM is probably the poster child for, you know, over excessive uh, technology. Um, but but we got from the sort of the H323 space to ultimately being in the situation where a lot of the traffic is now being controlled by, you know, SIP over voice over IP. But you know, ultimately, we weren't as successful in terms of world domination as as we wanted to be at the time because basically wireless, you know, 3G stole uh, yeah, stole the right. customers. <clears throat> right. So, um, you know, we were we came up with a innovative solution um, to provide opportunity for people who wanted to arbitrage stuff, but the the real game. Um, the, the hundreds of billions of dollars were made by the 3G operators and, uh, and equipment vendors. And right, but it all go, comes course, back around. It all comes back yeah. around because, again, 4G now runs like Volti runs voice over IP over LT. Yep. So you end up kind of the whole thing comes back around in the end. And we end up using the technology anyway, even though, you know, we originally thought that there was a while there where people were ripping out VoIP phones and it felt like voice over IP was, and, you know, and Phil never got a CCNP voice because. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't know how to read the T120 crawler that was going That's right. That's screen. exactly right. No, because didn't they eliminate it, Phil? Because after no, all, I, I mean. I did get it. It's just that I didn't upgrade it to the CCMP collab, the collaboration. Uh, so, I never uh, so, so you didn't put uh, the voice into the H323 channel. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't put the video into the H323 channel. No, I never did. And, and the collaboration <laughs> stuff was like, that, that's a lot newer stuff. And I stopped doing phone systems three, four, five years ago. But yeah, uh, it's been a lot longer than that for me, Phil. Yeah, yeah, and, but the, the 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 particular track I was on was a lot of the, the older technologies, and to, which to me was very interesting, and I really enjoyed learning about how you know the human voice is sampled and where those numbers come from. Like you were talking, making jokes about the sixty four K. There's a reason it's sixty four K. I was, yeah. I was yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so that's right. you know, compounding and, you know, why we get eight bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, eight bit compounded stuff. Yeah. There's a, yeah. there's a whole, but, and, and, you know, I think that is one of the other interesting things to be made about this. You know, we sort of joke about the ITU, um, you know, as a terrible institution and, and certainly when I turned up and watched them, they were pretty terrible, but the, when they first started, you know, making sure that, telecom systems were interoperable they were doing um a bunch of really useful work on yeah. very very hard circumstances right this is with uh you know slide rules and you know processes that you would not not and, even and they did invent isis they did so they, it's not all bad <laughs> <laughs> well they also invented ss7 which is you know pretty decent technology yeah, too it and it's it still is. around yeah, so, it, uh, is. it is. Yeah. So I think, Jordan, are we getting close to the end here? I think we're getting yeah. close to what we can record. I think we're, uh, yeah, we're closing out here. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So I think um, we've covered up to a lot. Maybe we do another show on voice at some point and talk about the history and IMS and other things and talk about how we got to Volte and stuff like that. We'll talk to Jordan about that. And then eventually we're going to bring... Alistair on and talk about the history of free range routing because that would be really entertaining. And, oh yes, uh, that is. How, yeah, so, how, so just to give you a sense of of the stuff that I had put together here, we're still in 1996. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're gonna, we, we made it about three months. <laughs> I know we made it about three months, and we're gonna have to like we're gonna have to like do another entire show just getting us from 1996 to 1997, Jordan. So so fuck I mean, a lot. We, we've we've got about I don't know about 35 voice shows ahead. I just we're gonna yeah. do them all. Yeah, you know, we'll just keep going. <laughs> just so, going. Should you get bored, right? Uh, you know, I can you know there's the whole story about SGCP, MGCP, and mm-hmm. ending up in the, you know, H248 space. And then there's the whole 323 SIP wars, and then <laughs> SCTP. Um, I don't know if you guys know that SCTP was uh, done because of voice over IP. So um, there's some, and then we can yeah. talk about. IMS so we should do this, Jordan. We should do. We should do a part two. Yeah, we should do a part two. Cool. All right. So we'll organize that, Alistair. But thanks for bringing us to 1996. Anyway, we feel so up to date now. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, well, so so why didn't you why didn't you let the uh, comments uh, roll in from the you know the first go around? And if people want to know more, then we can do another one. <laughs> oh no, it's up to Jordan. Jordan's already said we're doing it, so don't worry about okay. it. <laughs> All, the, all of a sudden, there's this authority that didn't happen before. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, in 1996, I do remember 1996 very well because, um, let's see, I was a junior in high school. <laughs> and my okay, experience well, was a little bit. What protocols were you getting down on? High what <laughs> protocols? <laughs> they involved two legs, long hair. And, and, <laughs> Exactly. Wow. All right. So I guess we'll quit for this time and uh, we'll arrange for Alistair to come back on a couple of times and talk about voice over IP and free range routing and some other stuff like that. So thanks, Alice, for coming on tonight. It's kind of late our time. It's not, I mean, it's your dinner time. So you probably. Yeah, we're just about to get started over here. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because Alistair's in California and we're all on the East Coast. We're on the right coast. Alistair's on the wrong coast. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But it's warmer over here.
I've heard that. I don't know if I believe it or not. <laughs> yes, I'll find out because I'll be out Come there. Visit. Come visit. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right. Well, have a great night, guys. And uh, thanks for coming on, Alistair. And we'll arrange another show in the future. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Thanks.